Well, good morning. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 1. You can find that in the Bibles in front of you on page 939. Again, that is Romans, chapter 1, verse 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Christ, through Jesus Christ, for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead. Uh, My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor. And um, thanks for joining us. We are continuing our study. We are in the second week of digging into the book of Romans. We are at the very beginning. Um, I was reflecting, just talking to somebody feels a little bit like um, I've climbed a couple 14ers in my life. I absolutely love it. Um, but, but when you first pull up to a 14,000-foot mountain and you look up and you're like, that's impo- you'll never get there, right? It's that moment of when I look at the book of Romans, it's intimidating because it's like, holy cow, it's the first couple of steps on uh, an epic journey. But um, all things begin with the first step. And so we are in week two, and, and honestly, we're still in the introduction to the letter. And uh, so we're going to be looking this morning um, at, at uh, really Paul's prayer. Um, and so I would encourage you, if you haven't yet, to pick up one of our study books. These are designed to help you dig in uh, to the letter as we go through. Our, our team designed these specifically to go along with our sermon series Uh, And there are different sections, and I would encourage you, man, seriously, grab it and and engage it, right? There's a section for you to, during the week, to get into the Word and and, and do some inductive Bible study. That just means observational study of the text on your own. Uh, There's a section for you to take notes during the sermon. Then there are questions that are designed after the study and after the sermon to, to engage and discuss in your community groups or with others to help you to continue to learn. Uh, we broke the, the book down into five sections. We're going to be producing five study books. At the end of this study, you will have a journey of your own, um, or excuse me, a record of your own journey through the book of Romans, right? You'll have something you'll be able to look back on and reflect on what you've learned and what you've seen and how you've encountered God in this book. And so I really encourage you to grab this and, uh, and work your way through it. In fact, this morning, if you don't have one, I would love to get one into your hands. So if, if you haven't grabbed one of these books yet, just raise your hand and we're going to stick one of these in it um, because we just think it's important for you to have it, okay? Anybody need one this morning? Uh, we've got people in the back. All right, uh, you're always free to grab one on the table on your way out as well. This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at an interesting passage. It is part of what we call the frame, which is a uh, it's a funny name that just means the structure at the beginning and the end of the letter, as all letters have, right? Even, even our emails typically have frames, right? There's, there's a way that you greet somebody. There's a way that you sign off. And, and, and so we're still in that section that is the structure of the letter. But in today's passage, we get a glimpse of Paul. I mean, like Paul, the human Paul, Paul, the, the regular guy. Um, and I, I kind of love it. Um, because you get a glimpse for Paul's love for the church um, and uh, for what makes him tick, why he does what he does. It's popular today to think of the church as optional, right? That's, that's very Western. It's very American. Um, I, I kind of look around typically in my life and, and, and I, I think, man, is that, is that you know, like, like exercise and, and maybe you know, working in the yard and going to church. There are things that I do that, that, that kind of help me feel good about me and help me in my self-improvement project and help me to, to live my life. And so, the, you know, it's like a, a buffet of options. And, and typically we think of church as one of those options on the buffet that I may or may not add to my plate depending on, on how I feel about it, right? Church is optional. Um, Paul, 
we'll get a glimpse of today is, is, is something that he teaches much more directly in other places in Scripture, but we get a glimpse of it in his personal life that, that he saw the church, the community of faith, right? Not talking about the building. The building is just where the church gathers. The church is the people, um, the ecclesia, the called out people of God, the, um, the church, that, that the church was vital for his own experience of grace, that the church was vital for his growth in, in this beautiful message that he's proclaiming. Um, listen, y'all, we need the community of grace to grow in grace. We need the community of grace to grow in grace. So last week, we looked at um, the first part of the frame or the first part of the introduction, which really is the greeting, right? Where, where we would write an email or a letter and we would just say, uh, Dear Bob, right? That's kind of how we, how we do our greeting. Um, their structure was a little bit different, right? It would be Steve to Bob, kairate, or grace to you, right? If I was a Greek, or I would say shalom, or peace to you if I was, if I was Jewish, right? Bob, uh, Steve to Bob. And, and so in the first seven verses, we see that Paul to the churches of Rome, grace and peace. He combines the Greek and the Jewish um, greeting, and then he expands it, right? We talked about that last week, man. Uh, he fills it with these foreshadowings of things that he's going to discuss in the letter later. But, but at this point, it's like a rock just skipping across a still pond. And every time that rock touches the surface, man, there is something deep, profound, complex, and beautiful, right? A lot of deep theological truth there. But at this point, he's just skipping across the surface, touching it kind of his first touch and, and foreshadowing the fact that he's going to be digging into these things a little bit later in the letter. So we looked at the greeting, and this week we're going to be looking at another typical component of ancient Near Eastern letters, right, or epistles, um, because they normally began with a greeting, and then they moved on to a prayer or a petition to the gods on behalf of the person to which they are writing. And Paul adopts that practice. When you read through his letters in the New Testament, Ephesians or Colossians or wherever you look, often he'll say, Paul, an apostle to the saints in Ephesus, and then he gives a prayer. And they're some of the most beautiful prayers in the New Testament um, because Paul was a very, very active prayer. He knew his people and he prayed very, very deeply and sincerely on their behalf. And um, uh, it, it is enriching to study his prayers. His prayer for the Romans is remarkably short. What you're going to see is his prayer for the Romans is, is a uh, a profound expression of gratitude on their behalf. Um, and, and, and then he uses that as a bridge to explain why he wants to come and visit them. And this is, in the heart of this, we're going to run across some verses, probably the only place in the whole book of Romans where I feel like Paul's off balance. Um, I kind of love it. He, he just is a little awkward. And, um, and I want to explore that. I want you to see that because uh, I think it's kind of important to where we're going this morning. Let me give you a little bit of background, though, because you need to understand, since this is the greeting between Paul and the church of Rome, or the churches, the house churches that meet in Rome, uh, I want to give you a little bit of background. First of all, you need to know, Paul didn't start this church, right? Paul, in fact, has never been to Rome. Paul, a Roman citizen, um, as far as we know, has at this point never actually been to the capital city of, of, of his own um, uh, heritage, right? Uh, He's Jewish, but he's Roman by, by um, uh, legality. Um, the Roman church probably started, in a sense, by accident. Of course, no church ever starts by accident. The Spirit of God starts them all. But, but in a sense, we don't have a record of any known church planter actually starting this church. More than likely, it started after Pentecost. Now, if you remember, Jesus rose from the dead... And it was right before this huge festival called Pentecost where, where um, all the Jewish people from the entire Mediterranean area would travel to Jerusalem for this, for this celebration, for this feast, for this religious festival. Um, and, and all of the Gentile uh, proselytes, all the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, who had become followers of Judaism would come as well. The whole city would just swell with hundreds of thousands of people as they came uh, for this event. And it was right in the middle of this event uh, that we have in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God descending on the early disciples. Uh, we see the flames of fires, they're filled with the Spirit, and they go out into the streets proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And, and they're, they're doing it in, in the languages of all the people who are visiting, right? We call that the gift of tongues, the gift of languages. They're out there just preaching about Jesus in the very languages that are native to the people that are visiting. The church explodes. Most of those people end up staying 
in Jerusalem, right? We're talking thousands of people that decide to stay in Jerusalem because suddenly they're all part of this new community of followers of Christ, and there's nothing like it in the entire world. They are the only community of Christ followers anywhere. Now, there are some, though, who choose not to stay but to travel home. And we think more than likely that's what happened, is that there were some believers, some, some brand new believers who, who left uh, Jerusalem and went back to Rome. And, and they would have been talking about Jesus the Messiah. More than likely, they'd go back to their home synagogues of the Jewish community in Rome and, and there open up the Old Testament Jewish Scripture and say, look, let, this is Jesus the Messiah. This is, this is the promised one. And, and, and pretty soon other people would become believers and the church of Christ would grow because the only way a church grows is by planting the gospel. And they would come and they would share the good news of the victory of Jesus and other people became believers and, and, and this church grew in Rome. Um, and, and it probably grew in a predominantly Jewish environment and a proselyte environment. So again, there are Gentiles who'd become followers of Judaism that would also be meeting in the synagogues. And so you'd have Jews and Gentiles uh, in the early church, but, but predominantly Jewish at this point. Now, one of the things that we know that happened in Rome, uh, as we read ancient historians, was that um, Roman Emperor Claudius banished the Jews from Rome in AD 49. Like literally just one day he got up and said, all the Jews get out of the city. <laughs> and they all had to get out, right? And, and we're told it was because there was a rising contention about this guy named Christus. Now, more than likely, Claudius had no idea who Christus was and probably didn't care. All he knew was that, was that the Jewish population was becoming really, really unsettled as they, as they got into debates about this. And, and of course, we know what that means. Uh, there, were, there were Jews who had become followers of Jesus Christ, Christus, and, and there were Jews that were like saying, no, this is, this is you're, you're actually corrupting Judaism. And, and the Judaizers were rising up against this new faith, and as a result, all of them were kicked out of the city in A.D. 49, and, um, and then they went into the churches in the Mediterranean area, and that's where Paul ended up meeting a lot of Roman Christians. Uh, some really famous ones, like Aquila and Priscilla, who, who are known as, as one of the most dynamic teaching teams in the New Testament. Um, Aquila and Priscilla were, were Roman Jewish believers that had um, been kicked out of Rome, and, and Paul worked with them. For a season. So by the time Paul writes the book of Romans in AD 57, so I know all the dates, eight years later, eight years after the decree, by this time surely some of the Jews were, were going back to Rome, right? After, after the dust had settled, after all the political stuff had settled, and the, and the Jews started coming back into the city, and the Jewish population was being restored. But during that period of time, a transition took place in the Roman church. They began as predominantly Jewish, and they had shifted into being predominantly Gentile. When the Jews left the city, the church continued to grow, but they continued to grow with non-Jewish people. And so as a result, what we find is that this book of Romans is primarily written to a Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience, but it's very, very concerned with Gentile-Jewish relationships. It's very concerned with the theology that plays into those relationships. And, and, and as a result, here's the thing, Paul has heard a lot about the Roman church. And, and during the season, he has just been aching to go visit them. He wants to go see this church. He wants to go visit this church. And, and then he wants to step from that church and continue going west. So he writes this church while he's in Corinth, which is in Greece. He's writing to Rome, which, which would be west of, of Greece, the Italy, right? And then he wants to use that as a springboard to go on to Spain to preach the gospel because as far as he knows, no one has ever preached the gospel in Spain and, and there are no churches. And so that's kind of his hope. He's writing this letter to prepare this visit, right? And he decides to send them something to chew on before he gets there. <laughs> and the thing that he's going to send to chew on is the book of Romans, which is pretty phenomenal. He wrote it in the course of three months while he was in Corinth and sent it on to Rome. He planned to go to Jerusalem to drop off a financial gift for poor saints in Jerusalem and then travel back probably up through uh, Turkey and the Appian Way and make his way back to Rome. Of course, uh, if you don't know, he, he, he hit some trouble when he got to Jerusalem um, and uh, he ended up getting arrested. He does make his way to Rome, but under Roman arrest. And um, and, and that becomes his, his imprisonment in Rome. 
enough about the background. Take a look at verse 8, because now you know the context of his relationship, Paul's relationship with these believers in Rome. So he says in verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. First of all, why does he say first? I have no idea. I just want you to know that, Uh, because there's no second. That's it. Like, it's just first, okay? Sometimes he seems to start a list and then get distracted, Um, or he could simply be saying of first importance. I don't know, all right? There you go. But what he does, he says, I thank my God um, through Jesus Christ for for all of you, right? He he begins with this prayer of thanksgiving, right? He, He expresses his gratitude for this church. Why? Because their faith is proclaimed throughout all of the world. Uh, Paul uses this word all in different ways, in different contexts. That kind of makes us weird as, as English readers because all means all. All doesn't always mean all, okay? When he says all the world, he doesn't literally mean all of the world. He means all the Mediterranean world, all of his known world, okay? And, and so what he's saying is, is, is your reputation precedes you. I've heard about you, right? I, I, he's not flattering them. He's not trying to butter them up with bacon grease, right? He's, 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 he's expressing in, in genuine sincerity I've heard about y'all, and I, I give thanks for what I hear, because what God is doing in your community in Rome, man, we're all talking about it, I, and I would love to come see it, right? In verse 9 and 10, he transitions um, from giving thanks, that really short prayer of gratitude, to his purpose, right? He, he expresses, man, I'm thankful for you, and then he transitions, and I want you to see how much eagerness you see in these verses, right? Take a look at verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I mean, he is just oozing eagerness. Like he is aching. You get the impression that, that while he sits in, in Corinth, in Greece, in, 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 in Italy, uh, in Greece, writing this letter that he's dreaming of going west. He knows he needs to go east, back to Jerusalem first, but he is, he is aching to be with them, right? And then in verses 11 and 12, things get a little weird, okay? Uh, For I long to see you. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Uh, uh, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Um, this, this is um, a little bit awkward. <laughs> uh, it, it is in the original language. It comes out a little bit in the English. Like, he's just, like, I don't know. He's, he's just a little uncomfortable, and it's coming out in his in his language. And I think the best way to describe it is this. I, I don't know if you can remember all the way back, you know, to the, your school days when, when you had a crush, you know, and, and, and what did you do when you were crushing on somebody? You watched them. You paid attention to them, right? You knew when they were in the room. You didn't want them to know you knew, but you knew, right? You knew what they were wearing. You knew what they were doing. You just kind of kept tabs on them, you know, and every once in a while, and I'm sure you've had this experience, you get a little absent-minded, you're thinking about something. You weren't even paying attention. And pretty soon you're just staring, right? You're just staring. And suddenly you come back to yourself and you realize they're looking back at you. And you're like, no, look away. No, that was too awkward. Look back. No, we're looking at each other. No, right? There's this, this weird awkwardness that comes and uh, try to play it cool. It's like, hey, I wasn't staring at you, but I, I mean, I was looking, but I, I wasn't. I was, but I, you're right. So, Here's what I want you to catch. At the heart of this awkwardness, I think, is a genuine, vulnerable sincerity in Paul's heart. Um, Paul really aches to come and see them. Um, and he's like, I, I want to come. And I want to come and impart some, some spiritual gift to you, right? It's honest. He's eager to come and preach and to minister and to bless and to serve and, 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 and to just be part of this community that he's heard about. But he doesn't want to come across like he's coming to take over. He's very aware, I think, in this moment of who he is and what his reputation is. 
See, he knew they would have heard of him. In the same way he's heard of the Romans, he knows the Romans would have heard of him, right? He had what, what modern people call platform, right? Platform is something that many people today crave and try to build. Platform is simply the reach of your reputation. If you have a big platform, people, more people retweet your tweets, right? More, more people pay attention to what you say. More people read your books. People today are just fighting for more and more and more platform. Paul had platform. He had that celebrity conversion experience. Everybody knew Paul, who was persecuting the early church and was actually leading people to death, who suddenly and dramatically became a follower of Jesus, and then didn't just become a follower of Jesus, became this missional force where he was just leading the way multiple, on his third journey, right, through, through the Mediterranean, the, 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 the immediate Mediterranean area around Jerusalem, uh, to plant these churches. He had been stoned, he had been persecuted, he had shared the gospel, right? He, he had platform. He had reputation. And I think it made him incredibly uncomfortable. He loved it when the spotlight was on the gospel. I think he got really, really uncomfortable and awkward when the spotlight was on him. And I, and I think that's why he loved pioneer work so much, right? In, in Romans 15, 20, toward the end of the letter, when we get into the final part of the frame where he's closing out the letter, he reveals that he doesn't like to build on the foundation of another. What he means by that is he doesn't like to to show up where another church planter has already been. Somebody else has already been the icebreaker bringing the gospel into a community. He likes to go where he doesn't, where his name's not known. He likes to go where the name of Jesus isn't known, where he can just share the gospel and, and, and be the icebreaker, be the one out on the front to, to, to share the gospel because that's, the spotlight is all on Jesus. The spotlight's all on the gospel. And so I think he, he feels in this moment when he's like, man, I want to come, I want to come and I want to preach and I want to I share the gospel with you so that you can benefit. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not about me. It's not about me. Because, because I, I don't want to just come and encourage you. I want to come and be encouraged by you. I want to come so that we can share our experience of grace. So he quickly adds, man, I want to be mutually encouraged so that I can strengthen you and you can strengthen me and, and that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This is completely sincere. There's no posturing here, right? There's no, he's just... He's just kind of awkwardly working his way through this thing where he's just like, like I'm just a boy looking at a church, right? <laughs> right? He's just, don't, don't pay attention to me, right? I'm, I'm just, I just want you to pay attention to the gospel, right? Verse 13, I want you to know, brothers. So he shifts from this awkward moment back to his purpose. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that they may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, right? He shifts back to his purpose. I really, I just really want you to know how much I've wanted to come to you. Part of this is because Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was part of the unique uh, aspect of his call, right? Peter was called the apostle to the Jewish people. So his primary ministry was among Jewish believers, Paul was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the nations, right? And, and so um, when he looks at, at, at Rome and its predominantly Gentile church, he feels a sense of ownership and obligation, not, not entitlement, but like this is, this is part of my, my mission, right? This is, you're, you're my people, right? Paul has laid down his life for two real reasons. One, to protect the gospel from Judaizers right? Those, those Jewish people who would rise up, locked up in their xenophobia, um, conservative Jewish leaders who were trying to keep the Gentiles out because they wanted to protect the purity of what was in. So he's, he's fighting to keep the door open to the gospel, and he's also fighting to make sure as many Gentiles as possible, as many non-Jewish people as possible, walk through that door and experience the fullness of what's inside. So he says, man, I want to reap a harvest. I want to reap some harvest among you also. As a, as a Gentile church, right? He's not talking about something as shallow and short-sighted as money, right? Prosperity preachers are some of the most impoverished preachers on the face of the earth. They're actually proclaiming the glories of God for the purpose of gaining the inglorious 
uh, short-term benefit of money. What kind of ridiculous foolishness is that? He, he's, not, he's not saying, I, I want to reap a harvest of money among you, right? He's not saying, I want to reap personal benefit or personal glory among you. He's, he's talking about encouragement. He wants to be encouraged and he wants to encourage. And then he moves into verses 14 and 15. And there's an interesting transition here because there's no transition, right? Verse 14, I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. There's a sudden transition in tone. He's not awkward anymore, right? In fact, you start getting that sense of the the strength of his voice. And it's because the spotlight is shifting right? He gets awkward when he's talking about himself <laughs> and, and about his desires and his relate. But, but he starts proclaiming the good news that's been entrusted to him and the strength starts coming out. And, and it's not because, um, it's purely because the spotlight shifts, I think, and, and the focus is now on the gospel, right? There's no transition. There's this sudden change in tone and he switches from this vulnerable personal space to, to where he was, to, to now speaking about his calling right? Um, what's all this about the Greek and the barbarians, the foolish and the wise? Is he insulting people? Um, nobody likes to be a barbarian. Of course, nobody likes to be a fool. Um, we're going to get into that, not this morning. Um, that's actually going to tie into next week when we get into verses um, uh, 16 and 17, which really is the beginning of the meat, right? Next week, we begin, we're out of the frame and into the meat of the message, and, uh, and I think these are key ideas to help with that transition, so we will deal with that next week. This morning, for the rest of our time, what I want to do is I want to focus on Paul's three parallel statements about why he wants to make this trip. One of the things that frustrated me as I studied for this is many of the commentaries just assumed the reason Paul wants to go to Rome is in order to gain support for his ministry in Spain. So it's purely strategic. He wants to go and he wants to minister for a while because he's going to pick up some people. He's going to pick up some financial support. They're going to become his new home base and he'll be able to launch out of there into Spain. And, and, and I'm not saying that isn't part of his motivation. Paul's a strategic thinker and, um, and strategy is not bad. But right here in this opening section, Paul gives us three very clear reasons why he wants to visit the believers in Rome. And I think, I think we're short-sighted if we don't recognize that that, that while there is a strategic benefit in developing this relationship, that's not his primary purpose in going, right? So let's take a look at the three reasons Paul himself says he wants to go. And it's, it's this, man, he, he, he wants to grow in grace. And he knows that he can do that as he continues to engage the community of grace, right? So he says this, in, in verse 11, he says Paul's purpose is, is to share some spiritual gift. In verse 13, it is to reap some harvest among you. And in verse 15, it is to preach the gospel of God to you also who are in Rome. Three parallel statements of why he wants to actually go visit the Romans. Let's deal with each of these in order. To share some spiritual gift among you. Um, this is kind of a vague statement, right? Which, which spiritual gift are you talking about, Paul? Um, and, and what do you have in mind? It's, it's vague. It's, it's a little strange. Well, let's talk about what spiritual gifts are. Paul writes a lot about spiritual gifts in different places. When he's writing different, he, he'll even at times catalog different kinds of spiritual gifts. In fact, he does that in Romans chapter 12. Uh, he's, when he's talking to the Romans, he's going to teach them about spiritual gifts. What is a spiritual gift? Um, here's Steve's definition. A spiritual gift is a natural ability that is supernaturally empowered by the Spirit of God to serve others to the glory of God. Okay? You don't have to write all that down, but I think it's pretty simple to remember. It's a natural ability that is supernaturally empowered for the purpose of serving others to the glory of God. Okay? And, and when you look through the New Testament, you see all kinds of, of interesting gifts in, in, these, in these catalogs, right? Um, uh, and, and they range everything from, like in Romans 12, he says, man, if, if your gift is generosity, give generously. If your gift is serving, man, serve. If your gift is teaching, teach, right? Um, but we also know there are other kinds of gifts, right? If, you're, if, you're, if your gift is, is uh, prophecy, 
then share the prophecy. If you have the gift of knowledge, if you have the, the, the there, there are these gifts. And, and often, I think today, we tend to distinguish between what we call normal gifts and charismatic gifts. And some of us are like more comfortable with normal gifts and we get really, really weirded out around charismatic gifts, right? Those weird things where it looks like God's actually showing up. Um, we're much more comfortable with the ones that just feel more normal, like maybe God's here, maybe he's not. I don't know. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't distinguish between normal gifts and charismatic gifts. They're all charismatic gifts. The word charismatic simply means empowered by grace. They're all empowered by grace. They're all spiritual because they all come from the Spirit, right? Whether it is the gift of service or the gift of prophecy, it is the Spirit of God enabling you to use a natural talent supernaturally for the benefit of the body to the glory of God. Let me give you an illustration. Um, I didn't ask my wife about this ahead of time, so I have apologize preemptively. Um, uh, my wife, uh, if anybody, if, if you know Lauren, um, she clearly has the gift of service. She has the gift of helps. She uh, lives to, to help people, to support people, to bless people. She is driven by her need to be behind the scenes and creating, and, 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 um, and, and she has been one of my most faithful um, man, just a blessing to me because she's the one continually creating structures in the background of all my chaos, um, serving in ways and, and working in ways and seeing things. So how is that a natural ability supernaturally empowered? Well, there are a lot of people who help, but Lauren has the ability often to, to see the critical thing that needs to be done for the critical thing to get done. Does that make sense? Like, like, like if, I'm gonna, if I'm out here like on the front lines doing these things and I'm preaching and I'm, and I'm doing all these things, a lot of times she's the one who see, she sees the very thing that has to be done before everything collapses. Because I don't see it, right? She has the gift of helps. It is a natural ability that's supernaturally empowered. So when she operates out of it, there's a supernatural benefit. Like, like there's a greater blessing that comes when she's working in the Spirit than if she were just doing helpful things. Like, like it's more encouraging. It is more helpful. It is more critical. It's a natural ability, supernaturally empowered um, for the benefit of the body, for the glory of God. All right, so she had the gift. I knew she had the gift of helps when I married her. I mean, that just, that is, that is, that's one of those gifts right on the surface with her. Uh, it, was, it was many years later that, that we kind of stumbled into this gift of prophecy. Um, and I, I know I'm going to weird some of you out. I'm sorry, that's just life. Um, uh, we were studying the gifts. I, I began uh, as a cessationist, which, which means when I first became a believer, I was taught that the normal gifts continued and those weird gifts all stopped. Um, after the early church, all the, the weird gifts stopped because they were sign gifts and they were only there to be a sign for the early church. And as I studied the Word of God, I came to the conclusion that I just couldn't support that biblically. Like I just couldn't, I didn't see any clear teaching in the New Testament that some gifts started and some gifts stopped. The Spirit of God still gives whatever gift the Spirit of God wants to give. That's, that's my conclusion. And that's when I read the, the, the Scripture, that's the conclusion I come to. Um, I didn't know that that meant he was going to actually do that with us. Um, Lauren... Um, kind of stumbled into, I wouldn't say stumbled, God gave her prophetic gifts. Um, and I'll just tell you one story. It was kind of a critical moment. We were getting ready to plant Trailhead Church, and um, it was a season of tremendous stress for us. Um, we, were, we were having to transition communities. We were having to sell our home. We were taking, I mean, it was just a stupid thing to do. I mean, honestly, from a, from a world's perspective, we cashed out our 401k. We, we, we were going to a new place. We were, we were just doing something that was dumb to do. And, and, and we were trying to sell our house, and we had to buy a house. And when you're looking at Edwardsville, there's like two different elementary school areas. So depending on what side of town you end up in, depends on where your kid ends up going to school. And if you rent, that could mean that, that, that your kid starts in one elementary school, and then later you buy. It means they end up transitioning schools again, and, and we're feeling all of this stress. So one day Lauren is uh, getting out of the shower, and, and she's crying, and I'm like, um, that's a Why? Um, that, that's not normal. And she's like, I'm not, gonna, I don't, not, I'm not talking about it. I'm, not, I'm like, all right, just let me know when you're ready. And, uh, and later she comes to me, she's like, all right. Um, uh, the Spirit of God showed me something. And I'm like, all right, what did the Spirit of God show you? Um, and it was very, very specific. She's like, we're going we're gonna to buy a house from a leader at New Song. New Song is uh, a church that at the time our little tiny group was meeting in the side room over there. That's where we started. 
And uh, she's like, there's going to be a leader at New Song. We're going to buy a house from a leader at New Song. And somebody at New Song is going to do us a favor to enable us to afford it. I was like, okay, let's keep this with an open hand. Can we do that? <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm the deal guy. I like good deals. Uh, and, and, and when the housing market is up and down and up and down, I was like, this was, the market was down, which was making it hard to sell our house. But I'm thinking, man, we've got great deals over here, right? Ebbets Field, there's a huge house. People just had to move, 100000 under, right? Um, but we couldn't afford much. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we're just looking and looking and looking, and we come across this house. Uh, we really liked it. Um, come to find out that, that it was owned by a family named the Ayabis. The Ayabis were, were leaders over at New Song. Um, and, uh, and we start looking at it, and I'm like, all right, so just because it's owned by somebody from New Song, it doesn't, all right, let's just come, you know, um, we can't afford it. That's what it comes down to. We can't afford it. They're, they're, they need to move, and they need to get a specific price for this house. I need a deal, and, um, and they're not kind of coming down, and, and, and I just, nope, we're going to have to, we're going to have to pass, and then something unheard of happened. Um, their realtor, who was also from New Song, prompted a conversation. Their realtor, our realtor, and the broker, without us ever asking or doing a thing, all waived their fees. They all just basically said, we're not going to charge you for this one in order so that you can afford to get into this house. All right, so at that point, I'm like, all right. All right. I mean, what am I going to do? This is it. I mean, what are you going to, right? I mean, that's, at that point, you're like, all right, Lord, this is the one. Um, Gift of prophecy. I know some of you get all weirded out by this, but when it happens, it's the most normal thing in the world. When the Spirit of God shows up and gives His gifts, it it just feels natural. Now, how is that a natural gift supernaturally empowered? Well, knowing is a natural gift. There are things that we know. And when the Spirit of God comes and supernaturally empowers you to know something you shouldn't be able to know, that's a spiritual gift, right? Whether it's the gift of discernment, or the gift of knowledge, or the gift of prophecy. Um, the Spirit of God does at times work in these miraculous ways. It's a, it's a natural gift, supernaturally empowered um, for the encouragement of God's people, for the glory of God. So who was encouraged by this gift of prophecy? I was. Lauren, for sure. I mean, man, we're talking about when you're in the middle of all that chaos, to know that God is leading you through it. When you're taking all this risk and God's like, I got you. Just keep moving forward, right? And I can't tell you the countless other people who have been encouraged. We've simply shared these simple stories of how God met us in this journey, right? So listen, God gives every believer a battery of gifts. I believe that there are multiple gifts given to every believer. Some are on the surface, and they're pretty easy to discover. And some are under the surface, and it takes work to get to them. It takes time. You have to discover those gifts. You have to grow in those gifts. You usually have to grow in all of your gifts um, by actively working on them and in just really the same way with my gift of teaching. I had, to, I had to discipline myself. I had to grow in the gift of teaching. I had to learn how to do it effectively. I had to learn, right? Um, there, you have to grow in all the gifts that God gives you, but they have to be discovered. But here's the thing with gifts. They only make sense in community. Gifts only make sense in community. God never gives you a gift for you to use for your own benefit. God gives you gifts for you to give them away. And they only make sense in the giving. Right? We we need to be in the community of grace to grow in grace. We need to use our gifts for the benefit of others to grow in our gifts, which both enrich us and enrich others. So when Paul says, I want to visit you so I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, I think it's interesting that he doesn't specify which one. Because I don't think he knows. He's like, I just know I'm going to get there. And God's going to be present. And, and, and I'm going to serve. And God's going to work through some spiritual gift. Whether it's one of the ones I already know and I'm very comfortable with. Or maybe one I'm going to discover in my service to you. God is going to work through some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And Paul's like, I'm looking forward to finding out what it is. 
I am looking forward to the opportunity of discovering it with you. Paul wants to visit uh, because it equips him to use his gifts, to grow in his gifts, to discover his gifts. And Paul is blessed as he serves to be a blessing. So how do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Uh, you can take an online assessment. There are great books you can read. Uh, there are little, little charts that you can fill out. That's awesome. More than likely, those things are just going to show you the ones that are on the surface, to tell you the truth. Um, kind of the ones that are the easy pickings uh, up at the top. Uh, it doesn't show you what's underneath the surface. Uh, a, better, a better way of finding out your gifts, I think, honestly, is to talk to people who know you and ask them, how have you seen God work through me? How have you seen people blessed through me? That's, that's often going to give you greater insight than, than simply a, a, an inventory, an online or a book inventory. Actually finding out how the Spirit of God has worked previously to, to impact people through you. The absolute best way to find your gifts. Serve. Just start serving. Because gifts are, are meant to be given away and you discover them as you give them. You will discover strengths you didn't know you have as you push into the service of others. When your purpose isn't to discover your spiritual gifts, but to be a blessing to others, you'll discover your spiritual gifts. When it's not about how do I know myself and grow in my self-knowledge, but instead how do I bless you, you'll discover new ways to be a blessing. You will discover new ways that God will supernaturally empower you to be a blessing to others. So my advice to you, especially um, young people who are struggling with, man, how do I fit and where does this all go? And man, don't, don't determine what your gifts are before you start serving. Like you might have an idea and that, that's fine. Hold on to that idea, but, but don't limit it. Like I have the gift of teaching. That means I have to teach. Yeah, but you can scrub toilets. No, but I'm a, I'm a teacher. I don't have the gift of helps. I already know that and I don't want it. I'm a teacher, right? That means I need a platform. So how's the church going to give me a platform? Because I need a platform to preach, and I can't grow my preaching unless I'm teaching. Um, You will will, um, stunt your own growth, your own spiritual growth by doing that. You don't show up demanding. The, The posture of demanding is absolutely counter to the discovery of gifts. Because the discovery of gifts happen when we're humbly serving. Find a need and meet it. Find a team and join it. Find a way to serve and start serving, right? Don't demand recognition. Don't look for a title. Just, just serve, and it's in the serving that you'll discover. And as you discover, you'll be blessed. I can't tell you how many times I've, like, man, years ago, I'd be like, ah, I don't have that gift. And then as I humbly served, I discovered, oh, it's in there. I just hadn't discovered it. And as I exercise it, and the Spirit of God worked through it, oh, like that actually could become a strength. I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing, and we need the community of grace to grow in grace. That's the only way to discover our gifts, is in service to others. So first of all, he comes to share some spiritual gifts. Secondly, to reap some harvest. In verse 13, so he comes to share some spiritual gift. Secondly, he comes to reap some harvest. We'll hit this one more quickly. Like I said, he's not looking to take up a collection. He's not looking to get some benefit uh, for himself. He is looking to come and share some spiritual gift. Why? So that they could be encouraged. And as they're encouraged, he himself is encouraged. Paul longs to be a blessing so that he can be blessed. What's the harvest? A harvest of encouragement. A harvest of joy. Right? A harvest of, of, of those who are rich in grace, sharing grace. Paul wants to be encouraged by their faith, even as he encourages them to grow in their faith. You know what I love? Um, there, there are a few things that um, fill my sail, <laughs> right? As, as, as I'm rowing. Right? It's nice when you're rowing when the, the sail is, is filled, right? It, it just it makes things a lot easier. It's really bad when the sail is slack and there's no wind and you're just rowing, rowing, rowing. You know what fills my sail? When someone is blessed by what I do. When I find out someone's life has been changed by the power of the gospel, 
And I was the tool that was used to share that gospel with them. When I find out someone was in deep sorrow and they were encouraged, when I find out that they were isolated and lonely and they finally found security, when I found that they were on the outskirts of community but they discovered once again the beauty of being connected to other believers, when I discovered that someone was in turbulent self-condemnation and suffering and they have found the peace of the gospel, nothing encourages me like that. I am so encouraged by their joy and it increases my joy. There is a harvest of encouragement that comes in the sharing of grace. When we share community, when we use our gifts for the good of one another, there is a fruitfulness, there is a bounty, there is an encouragement, right? I love that second song we sang today, man. We are a valley of dry bones. And we're trying to, to, trying to find life in all the wrong places. It's like I'm a valley of dry bones. I'm tired, I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated. Maybe I need another vacation. I'm a valley of dry bones. I am tired. I am frustrated. I'm discouraged. Maybe I need new entertainment, oh, a new Netflix series. I am tired. I am, I am discouraged. I, I am frustrated. I'm a valley of dry bones. Maybe I, 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 I need a new relationship. Um, and, and here's the thing is, is often there are moments, cathartic release of joy in, in those things. But at the end of the day, you still come back to the valley. There's a fruitfulness, there's a bounty, there's a harvest of joy that comes to those who serve and to those who are served in the service. There is a bounty in the community of grace, of, of, of knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served. Man, we need the community of grace to grow in grace because it is grace that clothes our dry bones with living flesh that gives us genuine refreshment, that gives us genuine security, that gives us genuine purpose, that gives us genuine rest. So Paul wants to have some harvest among them, and finally in verse 15, he wants to come and preach the gospel to them. He wants to come and preach the gospel to them in verse 15. This is a critical part of why Paul is writing. He wants to come visit, and he wants to preach the gospel to them. And, and this is going to make no sense to you if, if you think of preaching the gospel as, as evangelism which is how Western Christianity often talks about it. Preaching the gospel is speaking to unbelievers and trying to persuade them to become believers, right? When, when, I, hear, when I say something like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go share my faith, people are like, oh, great, you're going to go share your faith with people who are unbelievers so that they can become believers, right? That is a truncated view of the gospel. The gospel isn't a tool that we simply use to gain conversions. The gospel is a victorious message of a resurrected Christ, and that message affects not just unbelievers, but believers. It's the same message that introduces people into a relationship with God and helps them grow in their relationship with God. It's what we need to keep hearing and keep believing in order to keep growing in our faith and our experience of grace. Tim Keller, um, who says it way better than I do, said this. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it is more like the hub of a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. See, the, king, the gospel isn't a concept to be mastered. It's not a series of propositional truths to be accepted or rejected. The gospel is a living person, the resurrected Christ. And it's in growing in our relationship with him that we grow in the profound truths, power, transformation, and joy of the gospel. Paul longs to come and preach the gospel to those who are in Rome not simply to evangelize those who are far from God so they can be near, so that he can encourage those who are near to God to continue drawing near and grow in their experience of grace. We need to grow in our relationship with Christ, which means we need to grow in our relationship with each other. Paul sees this as a community event. We need the community of grace to grow in grace. All right, so in conclusion... In this section, we've gained a, 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 a glimpse into the human experience of Paul. He longs to visit the Romans because he longs for encouragement, right? There's a strategic purpose to it, but he longs to be an encouragement, and he longs to be encouraged. And the reality is we all have the same longing. 
And we would do well to see that even the great Apostle Paul desperately needed the church. God gave us the gift of grace, but that gift of grace was never meant to be experienced in isolation. It was meant to be experienced in the community of God's people. And we need to be growing in our experience of that community. So if you're a solo Christian out there, I'm growing with God on my own, American, Western, isolated. You're not spiritual, you're weird. And you're weak. We need the community of God's people. That's why this, the, this, the church is called the body of Christ. Every member of the body needs the body. To experience God's love and to grow, we need to experience the love of God's people and grow in relationship. And so I would invite you to move into deeper community with us. If you haven't joined one of our community groups, visit our connection point and join. Take the next step toward knowing and being known, of being more relationally connected. If you're not serving, serve. It's a great way to find community is actually by serving alongside others who are serving on mission. Uh, often when we're on mission for community, we miss it. But if we're, if we're on mission, we'll find community in the process. Join and serve with others. But get more connected. Recognize the value of the body. All right, let me close this in word of prayer. Father, I thank you for, um, man, just this human moment that we see with Paul. I love this because, um, man, Paul, ah, he was brilliant. He was brave. He, he was all these things, but the reality is he was just somebody who was consumed by the grace of God. And he was more comfortable when we focused more on the grace of God than on him, and, and, and that encourages me, Lord. God uses broken people. Lord, that truth frees us, that we, we don't need to bring you our best, we just need to bring you ourselves. And as we bring you ourselves, Lord, you supernaturally empower us to be a blessing. You change us. You free us. You work through us to encourage and bless others. And in the process, we ourselves are encouraged and blessed. Give us a vision for that kind of richness. That we might long, Lord, not, not for the riches of this world, not for what this world tells us is, is what we need to be important or significant or secure, but we would crave the riches of the gospel. Lord, meet us where we are this morning. And invite us to draw near once again. You guys will share communion in a moment. Let's just take a few moments and pray and reflect.